This episode of the Butane by ABIC podcast is brought to you by the Aesthetic and Beauty Industry Council. Hello and welcome to the Butane by ABIC podcast, your online support community for the aesthetic and beauty industry. Here, we are strengthening and unifying the industry through representation, innovation and education. This is a platform created and dedicated to the aesthetic and beauty industry, valuing unity and advancement. We serve to represent, support and inspire you by connecting you with industry experts, expanding your knowledge through educational pieces and bringing you the latest industry news. This is Beauté by Amy. I'm your host, Stephanie Miller, and today's guest is Angela Dirks from the Australasian Sustainable Wellness Academy. Angela is the founder and CEO of ASWA and a respected thought leader with more than 25 years experience integrating well-being into businesses. Starting her career as a beauty and remedial massage therapist, then upskilling as a naturopath and paramedical aesthetician, Angela has since accumulated national and global experience at the operational and senior leadership level with innovative and award-winning organisations such as Six Senses Resorts and Spas, Gwingana Lifestyle Retreat and Aurora Spas. Having identified the decline in mental health and well-being for business leaders and their workforces, Angela's passion for integrating well-being into how we work and live led her to develop and deliver Australia's nationally recognised diploma of wellness and leadership qualification. This revolutionary qualification now sees Angela working with leaders in both the public and private sector across a diverse range of industries to help them develop and strengthen capabilities in mental health and well-being. Angela also shares her wealth of expertise with the Queensland Government's Mentoring for Growth Program and the Spa and Wellness Association of Africa as a board advisor for education. Here to tell us why all businesses need to be embedding mental health and well-being into their business strategy and culture from the Australasian Sustainable Wellness Academy. Today, we welcome Angela Dirks. Angela, it's so great having you on the podcast today. You're such a wealth of knowledge in so many areas, education, mental and emotional well-being, and also the spa and beauty industry. Well, thanks for inviting me here, Steph. I'm really excited to be able to share some of the insights that I've gathered along uh, my journey. It's only been a 30-plus year journey, so hopefully there's a few things there that I can um, share that will help others. Oh, goodness. That is a long journey, and absolutely, I'm so excited to talk about the topic today. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your experience and how you came to be in the professional wellness industry? Well, it's a long one. I'll try to get it down as short as I can but look it all started when I had cystic acne as a as a teenager so knowing personally the impact of that condition um, not only on our skin but also how we see ourselves and how others can see and and treat us or certainly how we perceive how they're um, 
uh, perceiving us. So I was fascinated by how the skin responds and, and heals. So after getting my business qualifications, I then studied beauty therapy and continued upskilling in aesthetics, working with cosmetic and plastic surgeons and started my beauty business actually from a room in my home. We're talking back in the late 90s there. Um, and then built Australia's first Medispa and integrated clinic. It was 20 rooms. It incorporated um, uh, cosmetic tattooing, microdermabrasion, low-intensity laser, laser hair removal. Um, so that were some of the things I specialised in in my team. And then I also had nutritionists, counselling, GPs, um, osteopathy, acupuncture. And the idea was to have a uh, holistic centre where we could be focusing from the from the inside out. And then I started studying naturopathy because I wanted to learn more about how the skin related to all the systems, functions and cells of the body. And of course, you know, some of the more advanced um, training courses that are around now weren't around then. So I combined um, different courses like a Bachelor of Health Science with my beauty therapy and uh, ran that business for a couple of years. And then I actually went through a divorce and it was a messy family legal battle. It was in the court for about 10 years and had to sell that business. That was my dream business. And there weren't, there weren't a lot of job opportunities around from my skill set at that time. Um, so I actually gained a job and moved overseas. It was managing, well, actually developing and managing um, lots of spas and clinics around the world for a company called Six Senses. They're actually a world leader in delivering wellness experiences in, well, mainly in hotels, resorts and spas. So being based in Bangkok and traveling the world, I was actually really blessed to meet all these professionals and being immersed, like truly immersed in different philosophies and healing traditions. Um, and so after returning back from overseas, I started looking around at what is available to help in terms of wellness and all these skills that um, I had learned about. Is there a course available? Because I was providing consulting services to businesses like Six Senses. Um, so there's companies out there that manage, they don't always just own um, their clinics and spas, but they manage them. So that's a company like Six Senses. And so when I came back, I was looking to hire more consultants and was looking for a course that trained that and couldn't find one. So that's when I started going down the training route to actually help others to learn those skills so that then they could be providing wellness uh, training and consulting services to other businesses, um, particularly to grow the, the wellness industry. So that's kind of how I got into and then moved into what we now provide is, um, yes, training consulting to all, all sectors, not just the wellness industry. There's so much experience there. Just running and owning a 20-room clinic is massive. I know because uh, <laughs> I have clinics, right? <laughs> one, of yeah. the, one of them has 16 rooms, not 20 rooms. But you actually incorporated many other disciplines within your clinic to give a holistic experience is that where you realized wellness is critical for really running a sustainable uh, business and having it be successful when it really became apparent to me was actually going through the um 
the emotional loss of that business actually was a real turning point for me and my own uh, self-confidence because it's actually not you, you get you get it knocked out of you when your business is um, gone and I was only what 30 odd at that time so that's when you know the whole reviewing how you see life and what's important um, and I was a workaholic absolutely so I achieved a lot in terms of business but it was at the sacrifice of other areas of my life and I don't know if I would have recognized that as early in my life and career without that. So that's the silver lining um, from that experience. And then when I was actually working and being, you know, well paid for to, to, to facilitate um, business growth for global companies, um, I did it through one. Yes, I understand business and numbers, but more importantly, it became clear to me that I understood people and what drives people. And you can't continue to go we're not we're not machines we can't just continue to go without restoration and it's one of the things that we uh, in the western world we don't really tap into well in terms of energy management we talk a lot about time management but energy management like what's your capacity it changes from day to day and that was one of the things by being exposed to that um, across you know Chinese medicine Ayurveda Buddhism by that experience overseas was when I got to see what wellness can do outside of Australia and in different cultures and different countries and by harnessing that stuff that's when you're able to then leverage it to build and continue to grow your business without sacrificing health and well-being. I think you just opened up the doorway of thinking for many of our listeners. I know you just did that for me when you talked about time management versus energy management. That is such a new concept for me to even um, understand. Can you tell us what you meant by energy management? Mm. Well, um, look, one of my most, my, my idols is Dr. John Travis. Now, back in the 70s, he, he wrote a book. It's called The Wellness Workbook. It was, a, it was an eye-opener for me. It's massive. It's hundreds and hundreds of pages. But the concept of it is, is understand what wellness actually is and how do we gain energy and how we use energy. So in a nutshell, what gives us energy? Yes, it's nutrition, but it's more than that. It's our thoughts. It's um, breath how we breathe like we all breathe but are we breathing in a quality way is it bringing in energy what are we doing that's expending energy so in a nutshell you look at what how you are gaining energy and what's detracting from your energy so when you start to look at your not only your environment but your relationships your relationship with yourself your relationship with others how you respond to different situations emotional intelligence comes in there um, there's a whole bunch of areas that you look at okay what is serving my energy and we also have to learn how to restore that energy so in a nutshell we can't be fully engaged you know, businesses are all looking, how do we engage our teams? How do we get maximum productivity out of them? Well, we actually can't expect to get maximum um, if we don't understand that we need to be restoring that. You know, we charge our mobile phones how many times? Some people multiple times a day. How are we restoring our inner energy system? Because you can have all the time in the world, but if you don't optimise how you use that time, then that energy now has been 
Well, you can say it's wasted or it's gone or it's used for another purpose, but it's understanding how you're working with that energy, how it comes in and how it goes out. In a nutshell, optimize how much is coming in, how much you can keep and when it's gone out, how do you restore it? So that's when you hear about restorative practices. That's what we're talking about. How do you restore that energy so you can continue at optimum capacity as much as possible? Does that make sense? Absolutely. That analogy of my mobile phone, I, I nearly laughed because I thought, how many times you ask the question, how many times do you uh, charge your mobile phone in a day? For me, sometimes it's, it's three times. I'm on my <laughs> phone all day. Um, and you're right. You have to stop to recharge the battery in your phone. But we never think we need to stop to recharge the battery in ourselves throughout the day. And so now I'm thinking absolutely mental health and employee well-being. It's just so important to any business. If we're going to begin to apply these principles in our work environment and also our lives, where do we start? Mm. Well, you start with defining what well-being actually is and the why because you can talk about well-being and you can get the um, world health organization definition and we, we go through all that in our courses of course you know you need to understand that from a philosophical and theoretical perspective but at the end of the day it's about the why so why and what does well-being give you and everyone's a little different but there's the there's three common things that come up over the past 30 years um, when I've looked at what are the key things, and that's working in health retreats, you know, where people pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to go for a week and um, working with different psychologists and other various health and well-being professionals, what are the key common things that people want from health and well-being? And these are the three things. They want consistent energy levels. They want mental clarity. Now, that becomes particularly important around menopause because the brain and hormones, they start to go all cloudy um, and people start to question themselves and double guess, etc. And inner calm. They're the three. Consistent energy levels, mental clarity, and inner calm. Now, if you've got those three, then you've just increased your capacity to be able to physically uh, do what you need to do. And mentally make the decisions that keep you aligned with your core values and purpose. So what, what are they? What are your values? What is your purpose? You might have your mission statement of your business. You might have the core purpose, et cetera. But as individuals, most people find that process actually a little harder. It's easier for them to tell me what their business purpose and, and mission is, even if they're an employee. But you've got to nut it down to connect your why with, okay, why is that important? Well, it might be important because I want to be able to be a fun and inspiring leader for my team. I want to be able to, at the end of the day, go home and be a fun mum, play with my kids and be really present to listen to them about their day. And then I want to be an inspiring wife and lover, you know. That doesn't change. I want to be able to be that across the board. So whatever it is most important, what does well-being give and being able to actually align that with the individual and the business, that's where you actually get buy-in in terms of, oh, I get it now. Because most, most of the time we find that um, it's confidence around well-being. People go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, need, I, I know I need to eat healthier, I need to do this and that. Um, but knowing and doing are two different things. <laughs> they so, certainly are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's about going, okay, all right, we've got to, we've got to simplify it so that the why 
is is really critical. So there's there's research and best practices about the you know the most effective wellness strategies for individuals and and then people. But the important thing is always coming back to what does it mean for you. So if, if I was talking to a workplace, for example, first of all, I I have a chat with you, Steph, and say, right, well, what are your restorative practices? around just you know when you're recharging your mobile phone what are you doing to recharge yourself yeah and then let's have a look at that it doesn't have to be more than a minute but it has to be something something that is practical for you and that works for you and there's you know, there's hundreds of different things out there so it's about trying and tweaking and getting down something that is um, going to actually work and be relevant otherwise you just simply won't do it and so well-being principles we're talking about here in our work environments, but is it also possible to integrate these very same wellness principles into our customers' experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. Because you see, the thing is that once once you have it within your within your work culture, so it becomes part of just the way things are done. So from the moment that a staff member um, starts their journey with the organisation. The principles of wellness are part of that. So some of our um, business organisations, they include our, we've got a um, wellness within program. It is like a, it's like a wellbeing toolkit for individuals. So that's where they can take on their own um, self-care to take control of them, themselves. And so when we're doing it, we embody it and it comes across. So you can imagine when you when you're talking to someone like a customer and you're able to speak from a level of personal experience and you're able to share and guide within your scope of practice, absolutely, but there is a connection and a depth of relationship that comes from being able to share and have authenticity around that you're actually sharing something that you've done yourself. It's a bit like me. If I if I, if I didn't have experience in um, in my own wellness and struggles, etc., then it's harder to relate to others if you've been through something similar. So talking about wellness, you want to be able to be confident around those principles. So the eight principles of wellness are uh, they're a golden thread that's across all different um, healing modalities. So including those in your personal well-being as an individual, as a therapist in a, in, in a workplace, let's say, and that coming through in the customer experience. Yes, you can build it in so it's part of the protocol, but you don't need to do it in that structured, very, very um, obvious way. It can be done in a way that it's actually just part of the air that we breathe and what the guests take away with them. They feel that. That's where you have a wellness culture. And that's what... Um, I mean, that was what my role was at Six Senses, for example, is um, holistic conscience, one of my most favourite titles, I might add. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that concept, well, and I chose that title because operations director, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I don't say that with, with disrespect. It's just, you know, what does that actually mean? For me, it was about how do we take wellness and embed it and integrate it, not only in the spa, because we all know that an experience is far more than in those walls, but take it out of that into the restaurants from the moment that they start to actually connect with the business, from the moment we pick them up from the airport and take them to the resort, from when they check in, all of that has to have wellness interrelated to it. And that's why Six Senses sold for a massive profit. It's not just their beautiful locations. It's because they understood the value of that 
brand proposition by having wellness fully integrated. So it starts with the people, absolutely, and understanding it and confidently and authentically embodying that as they deliver that service. Can you give us an example of a principle that you applied into one of the businesses, say six senses, for example? One of the principles would be mindfulness. Now, you've got to remember this is about 15 years ago, okay? So I put it in perspective time-wise. So we took mindfulness and we started with when we picked them up from the airport, for example, that there would be... um, little iPods, remember those little iPods, that they would be available in the car with headphones because most of our clients were business travellers um, and they they would be even doing business in the car. So we, were, we had our own meditations. So we created our own meditations um, that we were guided meditations that they could listen to on the way. We had Um, juices in the car available for them so three different choices that they could choose so that we were working on the nutritional aspect and the idea was by the time they hit the resort that they were already starting to integrate mindfulness as part of their experience now they've come for a holiday they haven't they they don't come going okay I'm, I'm having a wellness experience they're coming for a five to seven star luxury getaway, but we are integrating it in part of the entire process. So if they're having a meeting, for example, so they might get there, they've already had that in the car. Um, by the time they get to the hotel room and check in, and they might have a um, a meeting that they're, that they're going to. So those meeting rooms were all set up using uh, colour therapy, essential oils, etc. around mindfulness, for example. So it isn't necessarily something that we would discuss in great detail with them, but they have had a pre-consultation with a team member and identified that that is an area that um, that we can strengthen while they're staying with us and then we do little components touch points along their journey to strengthen that they're almost subliminal things that cause state change even before they enter the um the resort (laughs) yes it's it's quite amazing what you've done yeah look we you know we used to have pillow mists um a, a lot of it is fairly common these days but six senses absolutely was a um a leader in that space and the reason was the owners absolutely the owners Somi and ava um the story of the background of them is um it is unique uh, and that's why i absolutely enjoyed my experience working with them but i can tell you this we were heavily under resourced it was essentially a startup um, because they were growing rapidly you know their, their growth plan when i joined them was to expand um five times what they currently were at that time so we had five spas when i joined we had 25 when i left four years later um and that was the goal to continue to expand. so you know when you're expanding there's always a gap and so absolutely how do you fill that gap and how do you do that while maintaining your 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 team's motivation and engagement and of course health and well-being but I will say this health and well-being in, in those instances were were not strategically put in a business plan per se it was just that that is how I led 
those teams because it was fundamental to me that we would not achieve our goal unless we did that. But I did have absolute support from the leaders to do that. And I was lucky enough that they just said, we trust you, off you go. So um, I was blessed to have that because it was fairly new ground back, you know, we are talking 15 odd years ago. That's um, health and wellbeing was not discussed like it is today. Mm, absolutely. And look, you were talking about, you know, how do we drive this culture of well-being in our in our team or our organization can you give us a few examples and a few ways that we can actually do that with our own businesses the research shows us that 80 percent of team behavior is influenced by the manager and leader okay so role modeling is number one you can't talk about wellness and then not demonstrate it so that's number one and number two is make it clear that it's important so don't assume that everyone thinks the same about well-being as I said before it's about coming up with what does it mean here so that involves a bit of consultation and um, collaboration with the team to come up with what 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 do we want it to do here and then unpacking that because each of the teams so for example therapists or reception or even management may see well-being a little differently in terms of what's going to work for them so you, you come up with what's going to work for each of the teams and then collectively, because you want to actually have, and I'm going to get a bit um, boring here, but, you know, you want to have a, a wellness policy, for example. What does that mean here? Put it in writing so that it's really clear that this is what we're looking to achieve. It doesn't mean you have to achieve it today, but it's about what are we actually committing to? And then actually getting confidence you know, to talk about mental health and well-being. So, for example, employees, they want to be able to be comfortable to confidently talk about what mental health and well-being is. So if you talk about the eight principles of wellness, for example, therapists want to be able to not feel like they are going out of scope or is this within our scope so having clarity and structure around that so that then they can take the skills that they learn around um, and I'll take mindfulness because simply mindfulness helps promote resilience and we're hearing a lot about resilience out there but we we tend to not equate breath and mindfulness actually need to be there first to support resilience so just breathing properly breathing exercises learning which breathing it might be humming breath it could be alternate nostril breathing um, those are things that a therapist can absolutely do between treatments The Aesthetic and Beauty Industry Council is Australia's peak industry body, representing the collective professional beauty and aesthetic, salon, clinic and spa community. Created for the industry, by the industry, our council is a collaboration of industry leaders who bring their commitment and specialised skills to raise industry standards, guide regulation and be a strong voice to government. At ABIC, our purpose is to provide an accessible and supportive organisation for the betterment of the professional beauty and aesthetic field, to enhance working practices and promote unity across the various sectors of the industry. ABIC's mission also includes being a trusted source of referral, education and guidance for clients of the beauty and aesthetic profession. ABIC is here to support our members through an extensive offering, including hundreds of valuable resources, HR support and industry expert facilitators to ensure your continued growth and success. 
Join us today and together let's safeguard the future of the beauty and aesthetic industry. Find us at www.theabic.org.au. At ABIC, we are here for you. So whether they're wanting to calm themselves down, if they're feeling a little bit anxious, overwhelmed, you know, time constraints and, um, you know, different demands that come from delivering treatments in today's um, heavy workload generally, then there's also how do I rebuild my energy? God, it's afternoon. I've already done X amount of treatments. How do I then restore that? So then there's more restorative type breathing techniques. And from there, that allows, because breath, breath is the one way that we can connect the external to the internal. So that's something I learned many years ago that was quite profound is, oh, yeah, true, because we're breathing in and out constantly, and it's our connection to the internal and the external. So if we can grasp that, that allows us to be more grounded, and that way we are more present that's what mindfulness is, being present in the moment. And then that allows us to then be able to be truly there and serve whoever's in front of us. As a leader, um, you know, we're serving our team, or certainly I, I lead from the position of servant leadership. Um, and as a therapist, therefore my client in that moment. So mindfulness is one way that certainly businesses can um, can help their teams to be able to then deliver that to actually influence a culture of well-being and on a on another note when we use the ask for wellness tracker it is a tool that it's got 80 questions and it basically helps us identify in a snapshot uh, the current status of an individual and then we map that out across a team if it's 10 people four people thousand people neither here nor there but what we're looking for is a pattern so we want to leverage strengths. So we look at that and go, okay, all right, so what are the strengths of this individual? And that could be, for example, resilience. Yes, they might be resilient. They push through, push through, but sooner or later, um, they might start to break down. That's called burnout. So we're seeing from the Aswell Wellness Tracker results across all different teams and different industries that um, mindfulness is an area that is really lacking. There isn't strengths around mindfulness, which isn't really a surprise if you consider the fact that most of us um, aren't really taught uh, practical mindfulness skills. So that is an example of where we would start generally with a team is working on, okay, let's look at what are some practical mindfulness techniques that we could uh, bring in. And you've got some quick wins. Breathing techniques are a quick win. People can learn that quickly and start practicing it because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. That's why it's called a practice because it's a work in progress. Absolutely. And so what sorts of results do you think we can see? I mean, I, the, the question is so vast. I mean, you could probably see results in every area, but what can you materially see when a business has an effective employee wellbeing strategy? Well, when we look at the businesses that we work with, and it's um, when we talk about strategy, we're talking normally two to three years. And the reason for that, well, COVID certainly has impacted um, the, the length of um, how we're looking at programs at the moment. And we've got our ROI calculator. So we, you know, I've got an MBA in accounting. Numbers tell me a story. Simple as that. People are what I'm concerned about. But numbers just give me some something to, to look at and be guided by. So we use that in our businesses and we look at, okay, all right, so how much is being spent on wellbeing? 
and what are we actually trying to achieve? Because at the end of the day, it's got to still hit the bottom line. So what is it that's going to make a difference? Now, turnover is really costly in our industry. Most businesses generally haven't even mapped out how much it costs to recruit and properly train a new employee. And, you know, the average cost is between three and a half to 5,000 if they map out the training and um, how much time it can take up of management, et cetera. And so by reducing turnover, that can actually make the workplace one of the most desirable places to work. That's number one. So that's going to reduce, um, you know, costs for advertising for new staff, et cetera. And we know that most people now want health and well-being. It's in the top three decision-making factors for choosing an employer. So, and that's just from reports. That's not um, Angela deciding that today. The Future of Work is a, it's a report that's put out by Price Waterhouse Coopers, and it actually is a report that shows you what's driving people and what supports satisfaction in our work. So, for example, in workplaces, we're usually tracking things like turnover, absenteeism, um, oh, workers' comp, gosh, I haven't said that, workers' comp claims and workers' compensation premiums like work cover. So those are the four common. Now, each industry is a bit different, but that's where when we look at well-being, uh, an effective employee well-being strategy, we're looking at, yes, are the team more engaged? Um, so we can do that with surveys. We can do pulse surveys, climate surveys, um, and we can also look at, you know, how they feel about leadership. Is there an improved work culture? The company image, has that been enhanced? How are people feeling about um, coming to work? Is there stress coming to work? You know, focus groups, conducting focus groups. Um, and a lot of the time, if it's a small team, you'll know that just by having a chat with the team. You don't have to do anything formal, um, but tracking it is important. And just keeping a bit of a pulse on that. But most importantly, reducing costs. So employee turnover tends to be one of the biggest ones and absenteeism. If everyone's taking their sick days, well, everyone else has got to pick up the slack and that increases costs. So that's the that's the key things that we see are around employees being more engaged and motivated because they're in better health at work and um, they're less prone to exhaustion, stress, and just burnout in general. Mm. Many of our listeners are actually professional individuals. So they work for themselves or, you know, perhaps they don't work in a team environment. How do we educate and support these individuals to really take control of their own well-being? I've got what I call the four C. So that's capacity, capability, consistency and cash flow. So if you're working for yourself, which I certainly have, um, start with being clear on what you know you can do and what you can't do because it's being realistic about and, and respectful to yourself and not feeling guilty about that. So that's number one. And that's quite an eye-opener for a lot of people. You might want to do this and this and this and this, but you've got this happening in your personal life. And right now your capacity is 70%. So I like numbers because of that. So I'm, I'm very comfortable saying I can, um, today I'm only at 60%. I'm not this is not going to serve me by trying to you know, chase up and get a couple more clients in today is actually going to push me over my capacity. I'm better off giving myself some restorative time today and maybe trying to get more bookings on another day. So that's capacity. And then there's capability, identifying what resources you actually need, particularly regarding skills and making sure that you've got those skills 
so that you can achieve your, your goals, whatever they are, career or business-wise, if you're growing your own business, but importantly, not detracting from your health and well-being in the process. Because at the end of the day, if you aren't sustainable as a human being, then your business isn't sustainable. So that's the capability part of the four C's. And then the third C is consistency. So that's structure in terms of protocols and systems, just like a business. I map it out very, very similarly, whether I've got a team or not. I like to have systems in place and that's what tends to work best to be able to build and grow um, because you don't have to think so much. Anything that helps us to have to do or think less is going to be of benefit and help us throughout the day in terms of our well-being. And then number four, of course, is cash flow and just knowing what your numbers are. So not being shy of that, learning learning how to work with numbers so that you can make decisions and take those necessary steps around uh, what you need to do because that's at the end of the day, you've only got yourself as a um, sole trader to fall back on. That would be number one in terms of the, the four Cs. The, the other ones are integrating the eight principles into your own life and work processes. So that could be that could be some breathing, mindfulness practices. How are you going to restore yourself throughout the day? Because otherwise you're just exhausted and burnt out. And so being able to actually integrate those. And so, of course, we've got our um, training programs uh, that take people through those eight principles. But then again, you know, you've got yoga, um, meditation, retreats, little workshops, everyone's got that available and a lot of the councils these days have free activities that are available too so they go and have a trial and if you want to work on developing them and practicing them even further then there's courses like ours around that they can um, delve deeper and actually start to practice them on a daily basis. I love the fact that you have such a strategized approach to wellness it's you know you're quoting numbers and um systems and and so forth which is not usually typical in in the wellness world uh it's more about feeling and about experiencing we talk a lot about that but I love the fact that you're so structured in the way you deliver all of that information and and really all your courses as well one last question Angela you've told us that research has shown that the impact of stress on mental health and well-being is actually continuing to rise and you were saying that was causing burnout and really negatively impacting the financial success of businesses can you share some tips on how to effectively manage stress ah certainly let me <laughs> share i've got 10 tips okay so let oh, me oh i love it yeah yeah 10, 10 tips step so first of all, of course, the eight principles of wellness and always starting with why, okay? Because clarifying that purpose, that actually is the driving force that gets us to be able to push through those challenges by having a clear vision and setting some clear expectations around short and long-term goals and then role modeling these uh, within our business, employees then are more likely to actually follow. So it's about practicing what we preach, walking our talk. And then this flows through to our guest experience that has wellness as an actual value add. But importantly, it's about how we as individuals can actually tap in to that driving force. You know how sometimes you just see, I don't know how they do it. How do they get so much done when they got this and this and this? They've normally mm. tapped into that. So purpose is only one 
of the eight principles of wellness. So there's also mindfulness, nutrition, breath, uh, sleep, and there's, of course, values, tapping into your values and what is most important. That's number two, clarifying values. What's most important and what's least important, you know, having clarity around that. So, um, and then everything in between. So I can tell you right now, actually, I'm looking at mine. I have it up on my wall in my office. Absolutely. What matters most? Family, and that's health, wellness, and fun. Two is relationships, healthy relationships, right? In business, work, everything. I have to enjoy the people that I'm talking and doing things with. That's just one of my values. And the other thing is um, content. So, and then what matters least to me is um, what other people think, status, ego, etc. So I'm very clear on that. So if something comes into my inbox, I can look at that straight away. Does it, does it fit with that? No, right. So it makes it easy. I like anything that makes it easy. But that is number two, values. Number three is being open to receiving feedback because if we don't get feedback, then it's only ourselves and our own perceptions. So being able to actually ask others and get feedback that sometimes you mightn't want to hear. I know I've had some feedback that has been hard to hear throughout the years. But I'll tell you what, some of the hardest feedback and some of it made me cry. Actually, when we set up ASWA, right, I, I, Australasian Sustainable Wellness Academy, that's the business. And we did a focus group. And the focus group told us, because my background was in um, beauty and spa, uh, the focus group, and I had a professional come in to um, actually conduct that. Basically, the feedback came that everyone thought we were essentially a bar and health retreat. Now, we're not, we're not a health retreat. We're not a spa. We don't deliver treatments. We deliver training and consulting. And so... Yeah, I'd spent a lot of money on logos and um, website, et cetera, to be able to do this focus group. Um, so that was one of the hardest things, but it was valuable to know that we had to go back and redo pictures and a whole lot of things so that we would actually meet our market because our market wasn't just our own industry. It was um, other industries as well. So that's number three, being open to receiving feedback, not only about our business, but that saved me stress of imagine if I had continued down that path for the next five years or so. And the whole time there was an, a disconnect between what we were trying to do and who our target market was. So yes, getting feedback. And that's sometimes about our role modeling too. You know, are, are we doing that? You know, I'm telling you guys, you know, you need to understand wellness, et cetera. Um, what could I be doing differently? And then having this deep breath while you hear the, hear the reality. Feedback really is a gift. If you look at it that way, um, oh, it, it can is. actually push you. It can make you grow. It can open your mind if it's taken as a gift because the person giving it to you needs to have that courage to be able to deliver that feedback as well. And so not everybody has that courage and that foresight to be able to genuinely try to help another person by giving them, you know, a reality check sometimes. <laughs> and you've hit the nail on the head. It's actually respectful to acknowledge that that's a very brave thing to do because it's not generally received well because we're not generally taught how to deliver feedback um, well either so there's a whole lot of anxiety around that both ways but if we're open to it and we can pick up on signs then that allows us to to grow okay so that's number three number four is having objectives with milestones so that could be as simple as I am going to learn one breathing technique that helps me with my sleep ritual 
And I'm going to do that just over the next month. This doesn't have to be 50 things, but just nutting it down and having clarity around having an objective and a multi, you know, smart, smart goals. So um, specific, measurable, et cetera. So that then you can actually look back and go, oh, yeah, I am achieving. I am progressing because that's when we feel like we're actually moving forward. And number five, have a business plan and map that business plan to your wellness plan, such as learning a breathing technique that will help me with my sleep ritual so that I can have quality sleep and wake up the next day refreshed and be able to set a clear intention that allows me to live my life on purpose, which may be, for example, um, helping my customers to feel better about themselves and having that written down makes a massive difference in terms of clarity and focus and number seven Pareto's principle I love Pareto's principle absolutely so 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 for those that don't know a little bit of history he was an Italian economist right and he noticed that 80 percent of Italy's land was now owned sorry by 20 percent of the people and he became a bit obsessed with this ratio you know he saw it in everything so for example he observed that 80 percent of the peas in his garden came from 20 percent of his pea plants so this has become known as the 80-20 rule. It's like cause and effect. And it's a, it's a very common business term. It's used to describe everything from economics to projects. But in a nutshell, it's a prediction that 80% of results come from 20% of causes and efforts. So being able to identify, for example, in business, you know, 20% of customers providing you with 80% of your income. And there's probably 20% of the things that you're doing are helping you with your well-being. So it's about leveraging those strengths. What are the, what are the 20% that's helping you and then leverage those and then build up the others. So that's why um, if you can do that, then you'll be serving your well-being greatest. And then number eight, get a mentor, someone who can help you and be someone who's a couple of years ahead maybe um, and someone who's a couple of years ahead maybe in well-being to be able to guide you. Because again, yes, knowing and doing are two different things. And it's only when we're actually growing personally and professionally, though, when we're being challenged is when we actually grow and number nine we're getting close to the 10 <laughs> number nine um our well-being is like our businesses it, it, it's always a work in progress and I, 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 the main thing I see Steph is people feeling like they're not at the 100 percent whereas they're really at 100 percent and that's okay so it's about being able to come up with the language or the terminology that you connect with that then you go, right, yeah, that works for me. So, you know, if I can operate really well at 80% and above, then my goal is to be at 80% and above. So not beat up myself when I am just, I'm just flat today. There's this and this and this happening and I haven't got everything I need to bring it all to the table. I'm just being honest about that. You know, I have to do that sometimes, even my in my own mentoring sessions, I might reschedule them. I'll obviously speak to my client about it. But if mm. I can't bring all that, you know what? They deserve to have me at 
Absolutely. And I say 80 to 100% because I'm still pretty darn good at 80%, right? Most of us are, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's coming up with what's your what's your ballpark and is that still reasonable and does that still work? Because you know what? No one else would probably know, but you know. So being kind to ourselves that it's, it's a work in progress and just because you ate that sausage roll for lunch, for example, doesn't mean that you've just thrown all your well-being out there out the window just go right okay all right I'm going to change maybe what I have for dinner tonight it's uh it's it's called agility in business you just adapt okay right that didn't quite work <laughs> I'll move on to plan b and then number 10 is just focusing on progression and not not perfection because that's where people tend to go right now I've tried this and this and this and it's all too hard so my advice is simplify get what works for you and then just focus on doing that consistently and adding to it slowly is far more successful. And um, you're not successful if you're not sustainable as a human being or in business. So, um, but yeah, they're my 10 tips for well-being. Angela, you are a revelation. Can I just say I've had a lot of wellness talks um, and they've all been fantastic, but I've gotten so many amazing takeaways from today. Um, I just want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise and knowledge with us today. It really is certainly a timely topic and, and one that I believe deserves more focus, uh, time and also research. So thank you so much, Angela. Absolute pleasure. And just um, one person can gain one thing in terms of being able to support their own well-being. Then that was my intention for today. So thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. You've reached the end of another episode of the Beauté by ABIC podcast, your online support community for the aesthetic and beauty industry. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay connected.